Rebel Goddess Reclamation was born out of the desire to celebrate the sacred feminine. You can look forward to goddess myth and storytelling from all cultures, interviews with inspiring rebel women, and learning about nature-based Sabbaths and any other goddess-loving sexy content that floats the boats of your two founding sisters. We know that in recognizing the radiance in others that we are recognizing the radiance in ourself. As rebel women, we empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome both the delicious light and exquisite shadow, knowing that this paradox is the source of sacred power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of all future descendants, we release that which does not serve and manifest that which does. We lean into the unknown with grace, making our own rules and then breaking them. I am your dark sister, Sam. I am your red sister, Sarah. And, and we, we are, are Rebel, Rebel Women, Women with Teacups. If you're here for just the goddess content and want to skip the tea review, we'll see you at just shy of 15 minutes in. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. I'm I'm good and I am thirsty for some tea. <laughs> That's so good. It's so good. My daughter, my youngest, Sophia, when she first heard that we were going to be doing this and she, you know, I was explaining to her about it to you, she was like, so are you going to say, uh, let's spill the tea or give me the tea or something like that. So I told her I would talk about it. Aww. She's so cute. There's a woman at work and she's always like, what's the tea? And I didn't know that that was a saying until like, it feels like two months ago. It like just happened. And now all I can hear is people mentioning this type of verbiage that I is like slang that I didn't yes <laughs> I'm very new to <laughs> that's so funny okay so we both have stories for our teacups so we didn't initially anticipate getting like a new teacup for every episode however mm-hmm. we have we've had thus far a new teacup for every episode so um you tell me your teacup story first okay so my teacup story is um uh, I just I saw it at Goodwill. Uh, no, it wasn't Goodwill. It was the it was a different thrift store. But I had went to the thrift store um, with nothing intentional to purchase, other than I wanted. I always look for dishes, like large, beautiful dishes, um, to eat off of. And then yeah, and then I'm also gonna look for teacups. And I saw I've seen this one before, and I had chosen to not to because I would buy other teacups there, and I don't need to buy seven teacups. I don't think I even need to own seven teacups. <laughs> But here we are. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's pretty and it's simple. I'm going to show you while I describe yes. it. I don't know if you can see, but it's, oh, um, it's so beautiful it's, color. Yeah. So well, it's all white, but then there's like this lacy design and it's white enameled over the white porcelain and then with silver, like, I don't know, silver gold leaf, silver leaf, whatever. But the teacup, it's so funny because well, the lace is yeah. on the top there. Um. This is my first time using it. I'm very excited about it. And I put the tea ball in. And the tea ball, I must have put a lot, a lot of tea in there because it's almost full. But I just took the tea ball out and now my teacup's only half full. <laughs> <laughs> the teacup's already really small, anyways. That's but. funny. It'll <laughs> be a tasting. Okay, tell me about your teacup. Okay. Um, So, okay, so this isn't my teacup. So this is the story of what happened. Now, I could have been told the story when my um, when my oldest daughter. So I have three kids, my son, Lane, my daughter, Kira, and then my daughter, Sophia. Um, So Kira was a little girl when the story happened. And I just found out about the story. I want to say sometime sometime in October, maybe September, um, where her aunt told me that at one time when she was little, they had she had to be picked up from the school or they were taking her into school. I can't quite remember that part, but they noticed that her hair looked off where she and looked like she had cut her bangs or something like that. And so they asked her, you know, what happened? She was and she said very like matter of factly, I'm Mulan. And do you remember that scene in the cartoon where she chops off her hair 
to become, uh-huh. you know, the the male soldier. So, okay, so this is my little, you know, uh, my little daughter with her little feistiness telling everybody, as a matter of fact, she is Mulan. Okay, so me and um, I'm not a huge mall goer. Like, I don't go to the mall very often. But my youngest is now getting into that phase where she is more interested in joining the festivities of the mall. So we all go there. It's, well, I shouldn't say we all. It's me and my two daughters. And um, me and one of my daughters go into Hot Topic. And almost immediately I find this and I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be perfect for a Christmas present. Because usually like I gift them money because I'd rather them pick what they want instead of me like not getting what they're wanting. But I always like have a few things under the Christmas tree for them. But this is what I got for her. Do you remember the scene where he, um, is it Flit? I forget Hold on, I totally forgot. Um, the grasshopper. Uh, in Mulan, at one point when, like, we're, like, being introduced to him, um, oh, they it, his name is Cricky. I've literally never <laughs> known his his name, but it's the cute little good luck um, cricket that, or grasshopper that, or whatever it is, that the grandmother gifts to Mulan. And at one point, mm-hmm. uh, while she's trying to make tea for the the scary woman, he gets into the tea and he acts like it's like a hot spa. And I'm going to take a picture of this and, and put it out on, on our Instagram. But it's him sitting in the teacup. So when I fill it up with water, it looks like he's in the spa enjoying a nice hot bath. And I thought it was so cute. So that's my tea. Nice. And I love it. And I'll I'll put a picture up on the internet. Perfect. Now I'm going to try to pour it because it's awkward. And the tea we're drinking today. So this tea is coming from Asheville, North Carolina. There is a shop called Asheville Raven and Crone. And it's a lovely witch shop that has all sorts of... Well, it's just got a whole bunch of witchy things. Uh, so they and then they have herbs blended together, and they had um, tea blends as well. And I got two tea blends from them that day. One is a chai blend, and the other is the one that we are reviewing today, which is called divination tea. And inside includes mugwort, lavender, skullcap, rose, spearmint. Uber Ursi and Kava Kava. You know, it's funny. Before I even knew what was in here, the moment I opened up the little package you had made me, I knew Mugwort was in it. Like, I just knew. How did you know? I don't know. I just knew. Is it because it's fluffy? Mugwort is fluffy. It is fluffy. But I don't know. Like, when I opened it up, I'm kind of in a darker area right now. But I, like, felt around while I was un... Huh. Um, like, dipping everything out. Whatever. I can't find the word. But I just knew mugwort was in it. That's so funny. That's because you're a green. And that's why it's called divination because mugwort is wildly uh, like a very good divination tool. But if you're not ready to cross yeah. those planes, you got to right. be careful. Well, and I think skullcap is similar too in that it um, it can alter moods mm-hmm. and relax mm-hmm. you. Um, and then kava kava is the same. It's very like it almost feels like red wine if you get like a really strong tincture or something of kava kava. It's interesting because the Uva Ursi, I'm not sure the application in this specific blend, but I always thought of Uva Ursi as like a women's blend, or maybe that's why it is. Like red raspberry leaf and Uva Ursi are always connected to women's, whether it's like cycle or inducing mm-hmm. um, labor or things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, okay. So and looking at it dry, it's pretty fluffy. It's mostly green. Every once in a while, you'll see a rose petal yeah. um, dried up here and there. And some lavender buds. The lavender just kind of blends in with the green, though, because they're all individual. Yeah. And you and I, I love mint types of teas, and so you can definitely mm-hmm. smell that in there. So that makes me happy when I smell it. Yeah. More than anything, um, I to me, it is it is like a mint tea. Yeah. Completely. When you open the bag yeah. and, yeah. Smelling it smells minty. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily spe- smell spearminty. Right. I guess it's not peppermint either, but it's like a subtle, softer mint because spearmint sometimes smells really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like earthy and green at the same time, but more like dirt earthy than like green tea's earthy, if that makes sense. That does make sense. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. 
So uh, I have to be honest and tell you that I have drank this a whole, <laughs> whole bunch of times. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I only started drinking it maybe two weeks ago because I had had it when we went to North Carolina, you know, months ago. Um, and typically I don't like mint tea unless – well, I don't really like tea that doesn't have caffeine in it unless it's like late in the day. Um, and then I'll just usually drink a decaffeinated black tea. But for whatever reason, maybe it was my fancy new teacups, I was like, let me try this out. And I really – usually I like a lot of flavor, like a chai or something. I like it to smack me. But this is so – there's like – there's so many layers and they're all super subtle and I think about how you had said the other day about liking oolong or something like really soft on the palate and to me it just is like it's very immersive in these like really gentle flavors because you can taste a lot of I guess just the variety of things that are in it there's one two three four five six seven ingredients but I feel like there's all these layers in there yeah the the mint for me is at the forefront but then it's like as you swallow there's all these different layers like you said of different flavors Mm -hmm. that are inside of it it's really pleasant i really enjoy it see this is how this is how normally i would drink a tea just this plain almost green but not quite green it's got that mint Mm -hmm. in there definitely this is how i would normally drink it now would you do anything to this to spice it up no I think it's and I think that that says a lot too because usually I want to doctor it up and I want to like make it my own but I think that this is just so sweet on its own and I think that the the lavender and rose because sometimes that can go the opposite way and make it like perfumey mm. or like taste floral like soap or something and it just seems really complimentary. Yeah, I have the, to agree. The subtleness. Yeah, yeah. And I've brewed it with lots of um, different amounts of the actual herb in there. Sometimes I'll make it stronger and sometimes I'll make it weaker. Mm-hmm. And then um, and I'll make some in a really, really, really large um, mug that I have. And then I don't finish it all. And I put the little lid on it. And I leave it in the refrigerator and then cooled like almost like an iced tea. But like the very low flavor one mm-hmm. that's cooled. It's nice because it's like, I don't know, like those weird flavored waters that aren't like fizzy water. But they're just like, what are you doing? But I, I like it. <laughs> The in-between, because it's not quite juice, you know? Right. Anyways. <clears throat> so uh, if you had to rank it on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, it would be up there. Um, I never rank anything as a 10, because nothing's perfect to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, like, a 7 or 8. It's definitely a lovely, like... Mm. It would not be something that I would not drink again. There's a lot of teas where it's yeah. like, oh, that was a lovely experience, but no thank you. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely something I can see myself brewing over and over again. Yeah. Good. How about you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, same. Not. I could not rate it a 10. It's funny. It makes me think about when I worked at the bank and we did like performance reviews. <laughs> and it was like out of five. But nobody ever gets a five. And I remember being salty about not getting a five until someone explained to me like five is basically unattainable. And so you can't expect it. And it's like, OK, it's just that's the edge. Right. It's the border of where you're never going right. to be. Um, but yeah, I, to- I, I I like it a lot. I actually – so this one I made really, really strong. And now I'm watering it down because I drank – well, half of it was already gone when I took out the tea ball um, with these sweet little teacups. But I have my new um, – <laughs> My new stainless steel tea kettle that I will not break because the very beginning of the first one we did, my tea kettle smashed into a million pieces. So this one isn't going to smash. That's good. Yes, I could hear it across the ether. I heard the (gasps) – and then the crash and then the oh, shit. (laughs) You didn't say oh, shit, Mm -hmm. but that's like the feeling I got was like ah, shit. Like glass isn't hard enough to clean up and then you've got glass and you've got water and you've got – the oh my gosh i need to go film a podcast <laughs> yeah shit well and with the cleaning up i don't buy uh paper towels or anything i like am very strategic even about the paper napkins that i receive i will take them from chipotle when they are given to me but other than that it's like i don't want like paper disposable paper products in my mm-hmm. house so i have a whole bunch of like garbage um like dish towels that you know are they're like my rags yeah. so i'll use those but then it's like cleaning up glass like you can't you can't do that and yeah. you can't like dry sweep them into a dustpan because then it's just like this glass soup it was yeah but it's done i don't have to worry about That's it anymore true. it's true <laughs> okay 
All right. So today's episode, today's full episode of what we're experiencing is going to be an interview. So Sam and I decided that um, along with the teacups and the tea reviews and the the myth stories, the goddess archetype stories that we're going to share with one another, we all also want to do interviews with, with women, with rebels, with people who are... Um, are shaking things up, even if it's just in their little community, because those little communities are going to ripple out. And, uh, you know, it could be here and, you know, Dayton, Ohio, but I could affect someone all the way over in California. Like, we never know where our ripple is going to end and then ricochet off from there. So we thought it would be appropriate for our first two interviews to be with one another. So this podcast is going to be dedicated solely and purely to Sam and figuring out all of her inner workings. And then the next interview we do is going to be to me. And then we're going to start bringing in all of these lovely women that inspire us, that have touched us in such a way that we want to share their medicine with the world. Mm-hmm. But today it's Sam. Yay. So can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Do you even that's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to ask me questions. But did you do you have like questions written down and like thought out or yes and no. or like some of them? Okay. So I have some questions, but then I always like to let the interview kind of reveal itself. So questions will inspire me. Your answers, your stories inspire me along the way. But I'm glad that you asked me that because I didn't pull up my list of questions yet. <laughs> This will seem familiar to you later because I am writing a book on the crone. Um, but some of the questions I'm going to ask you is from the list that I have from the crone interviews. Mm. Um, because there's so much w- wisdom and yumminess inside of the crone. So mm-hmm. give me just a moment. How many crones have you interviewed? Mm. I probably I've interviewed either six or eight. And I have at least two more for sure. I have one that one of my friends who lives out of state asked me if I was still looking for crones to interview. And he said that um, he knows someone that would be just perfect. And I always like Mm -hmm. that because I don't want to do a lot. Like half of the crones I've interviewed thus far have been people that I know and then people they've introduced me to, which is just delicious. I love it. Mm -hmm. So... We're going to start with the most existential question there is, Sam. Are you ready? Are Coming you ready? In hot. <laughs> sure. Who are you? Oh. I am the infinite encapsulated within this human biology that I get to maintain. And I am creative. I am an artist, and I am driven to empower other women, and I am a mother. It's so hard. I mean, that's obviously a hard question to answer, it but is. then it's like I know I having asked people that question before, it's like there's like the ego answer of like all the labels, and, and I know that, and I've answered that question so many times, and it's like underneath the labels, but I would say more than anything, I am a non-dual entity temporarily experiencing duality within the edges of this physical body, and I'm trying to remember as much as I can that that's not the largest truth. At the fundamental level. <laughs> That's who I am. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. Very well said. Thanks. Now, with you in the most standard way, I don't know if I'm pulling out the right words, other than the infinite duality, non-duality existence that you are experiencing, um, is there anything else that would describe you that is more just a, I don't want to say a standard answer because nothing's mm-hmm. ever standard, um, mm-hmm. but that's more of a common. I a see. Com- okay. No, but I love both of them. Absolutely. I mean, any answer you give me, I'm always just like, hmm, tell me more. However, is there anything? Got it. <sighs> so, okay. So I, mother, um, I am a, 
uh, I don't want to say service provider, but I am one who is driven by acts of service. Um, I already said artist. Uh, explorer. I take very risky, calculated risks. <laughs> so not like risks for like anything. I'm not like, I'm not reckless in that I will do anything. But the things that I will do would be very risky to some, but I feel steadfast in them, if that makes sense. Beautiful. Um, I, I am a daughter slash sister worshiper, devotee of the goddess for sure. That's what I got. It's beautiful. I love it. Okay. okay. Love Was that enough? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's perfect. Okay. Perfect, just as it is. I want to get into when you – so these are going to be really heavy, heady questions because we're just going to get into the meat. In, well, you're a vegetarian, so we're just going to get into the jackfruit <laughs> of it all. <laughs> so in the inside the, the, the flesh of the jackfruit – what is your first remembrance of feeling the spiritual the spirituality that is calling you that has called you to do the work that you've done? Do you have a first memory of that? And it doesn't matter if you, you know, if it was like back when you were 5 and then you didn't revisit again until you were 25. Like, what was that experience? Yeah, so I don't know that this is the first one, but it's definitely, like, a, a large one that I, like, have cemented into my psyche as things, tendrils coming out of this particular pivotal moment. Um, and as in adulthood, um, it was when I first started my yoga, like, teacher training journey when I decided I was going to teach yoga. <laughs> I was going to teach yoga asana. I was going to tell people to do sun salutations and stuff. That's how well I knew myself. Um, but we had a tantra weekend. It was it was really an incredible teacher training. Um, I don't think I walked away so much with, like, the – the um practice of teaching and wanting to teach but more than that i walked away with this like holistic experience of yoga and they each weekend we met they gave us something different they had a whole bunch of guest teachers so it was like this is your weekend on like ashtanga or um i i yangar or this is your weekend on tantra and so um so the tantra weekend was really incredible and the woman they had to come teach um also incredible, and she uh, she she held space in a very um, uh, dualistic way. She was very much paradoxical in her paradoxical sure. paradoxical in her state of being. That she had this incredible wisdom and um, and and created a container for the room to feel a certain way. But then she also had this like really strange way of I don't know why I'm going into this but I'm just it's already happening um of like saying things in like a really bitey kind of way like like assertive in like an aggressive way that would be like too aggressive for a teacher so again so paradox right which is how perfect because she's teaching tantra but all of that is to say so in Tantra, you know, there is no there's there's no duality. There's no good and bad. There, those labels are just things that we cast and, and they don't actually exist. And what's underneath that is this singular union of everything. And so if there's there's no good, there's no bad, then there's only one thing. And um, this didn't actually come – that came from the teacher, but the, <laughs> the pivotal moment didn't come from the teacher. The pivotal moment came from one of the women who was in class with us. And I don't know, there's maybe 20 people people in 25 people in this room for for her lecture all weekend and then there was a bathroom break and there was maybe two men um that were sitting in with us and so then at, during break time everyone lines up there's two bathrooms everyone lines up and you just like wait your turn to go to the bathroom and this woman was in front of me and we were waiting in line for the bathroom and a man comes out of the bathroom <laughs> Oh, it's 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 so sweetly in my heart. Um, and the man comes out of the bathroom, and then the woman in front of me like goes into the bathroom, peeps back out, and and stops the man and says, "You peed on the seat." <laughs> I was like, I was like, what the fuck? Like, you don't tell. I mean, maybe you tell. I wouldn't tell. I would just like wipe it off and like move about my day and like try to like not let it bother me. But and but she called him on it in like the sweetest way. And then she pans all of that by saying, it's okay because everything's sacred. There's no good, there's no bad, everything's sacred. And I was like, holy shit. She just made his fucking piss on the toilet seat 
like sacred and divine right yeah. and it was like this like instant shift of not only how we can perceive like these small like completely mundane things and 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 strip away all of the layers that are of illusion on it but it's also like how this like infinitely large way to be able to interact with others and see them in their purest most innocent form like the way that you look at like a child or you know an infant right it's like he didn't mean any harm you don't need to let it ruin your day and and there's like this huge unlocking of life that can happen when you can approach people about these things from this place of love and sweetness because then you're not in fear of like oh my god i can't believe you did that right because that's you're coming from a place of judgment but if you're not then boom, you have all these avenues of of openings and possibility. And then it's like if you can see, you know, whether it's the guy who pees on the seat ahead of you or your enemy or whoever else that's that you feel is causing you suffering or displeasing you, and then you can perceive them in this way of like, there's no good, there's no bad, it's all Tantra, then it's like, fuck. And then so with Tantra comes the goddess and comes all of these other layers. So... And then through the goddess and through like the mother, I think I, I found more um, awareness of paradox of, of like becoming a mother and, you know, writing my relationship with my body because I definitely did not have a good one. And then I became a mother and it was like reframing how I saw my body. And, and it just sort of all unfolded there from this like singular piss on the seat during Tantra weekend. <laughs> uh, damn it. That was such a good story. It's like I forgot that I was in an interview and I was just – listening and so enraptured it's beautiful Great. so how how old were, would you say you were for that um let me do some math let's see uh she's 11 12 um maybe eight years ago so okay. 35 minus 8 20 28 27 so 27 okay. no yes 35 minus 8 is 27 yes okay <laughs> Roughly. Circa and if that's not right, same. people just go with it. <laughs> it's perfect. Everything's perfect. So in that time, what called you to take uh, YTT, yoga teacher training? Well, I um, asana helped me. So um, my daughter was like maybe three. And so again, like this, having experienced motherhood and like nursing and like changing my experience with my body from hating it and feeling imprisoned by it and like looking in the mirror and not enjoying it and, and all of the things that come with being a woman in a culture that tells you that your body's wrong all the time. Um, and then being a mother and it was like, uh, that in addition to finding what it felt like to actually experience my body move on a yoga mat, um, was another layer of of me coming home to myself and feeling at ease in my body when typically I felt dis-ease and unease in my body all the time. So uh, I fell in love with the physical practice of yoga and I took a whole bunch of classes and I actually didn't even take a whole bunch of classes at that studio. But for my teacher training, it was like, I even remember describing it to them this way too. It was like, I don't know what it was, but it was like arrows, like highway signs pointing to this place. So that's what I did. And they were also one of the most expensive. This <laughs> was not. All of my arrows should have pointed a different way because, you know, it was – but it was a worthwhile investment for sure. But, um, yeah, that's why. So anybody who knows you, who, who like, gets down with, with your work knows that your progression of asana has completely changed to the physical practice of breath in the body what what happened where was that pivotal moment where it switched from wanting to teach the physical into teaching breath work and what is breath work to you okay so that's a big those are big big questions yes they are so switching from yoga asana to breathwork so i graduated that teacher training and there was so much resistance um to teach afterwards and I even remember my teacher saying she's like you know people sign up because they think that they want to teach and then they don't end up teaching and then people who don't think that they're going to teach and they want to take this training for their personal practice end up teaching she's like I don't know what it is and I was like lady you're so wrong and then I did did not want to teach and she had asked um it was me and a a fellow um YTT student um to support during an outdoor like public free class uh for hands-on adjustments and both 
this fellow student and I, who is lovely and also took essentially the same, not the same path, but a, a very parallel goddess path doing, you know, sister sciences to, to yoga asana. Um, but we both just stood there and we're like, uh, there was, you know, 40 people on mats in this beautiful courtyard and none of us, her and I could not bring ourselves to adjust or offer anything in a physical way to these people participating. And then, you know, I um, was teaching kids classes uh, and doing like like karma yoga where you 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 don't teach for money, you teach for other things. Um, and I enjoyed it, but it was like these really small hits of enjoyment. And then before that, before I would teach the class, it was like if you could put your soul like against a cheese grater, that's what it felt like. And it felt like everything was like, uh, and I would think of all the ways that I could get out of it. And, you know, do I take a picture of like my tire from an angle and like say that it's flat. So I don't have to go. It was like, and then there was just this leveling up of awareness of like, what am I even doing? Like if I don't like it, but I, I had told myself that I should have liked it, that I, you know, was doing it because I liked it. But practicing in your physical body is a lot different than telling other people, about practicing in their body. And I think for me, once I figured out that the one does not equal the other, um, then then I was like, I actually don't have to do that. And there's so many teachers, so many incredible teachers that are really great at helping people move through movement in their body. That does not, it doesn't have to be me. And it was like, as soon as I realized that that doesn't have to be the thing that I offer, it was like everything else opened up. And more than movement, um, what I like is sitting still. Like I, if, if I, I will lay horizontally throughout the day <laughs> regularly. Like if I just need to rest, I'm just going to rest. And I can sit still for really, really long periods of time, not in like a like look at me kind of a way, but like I just find myself not moving very much. So then naturally the progression was let's do that. Um, and then with the breath, so it's like, you know, if, if non-duality and this this illusion of separateness is like my thing, it's hidden in the breath, but it's not even hidden in the breath. It like smacks you in the face because the breath is exclusively an inhale and an exhale. This is two separate parts. And, and it's like you think that they have edges, but then when you really pay attention, there's no fucking edges. It's like, can you, without intentionally placing a pause in the breath from the inhale and then if you hold right if you don't tech, if you don't think about holding your breath and it just moves into the exhale like there's where's the space that one becomes the other it's like so diffused and and there there is no border there is no edge and then also too when you think about it when you think about observing the breath that's when the breath motherfucking changes and you think that you can witness it softly but you fucking can't and it's like the most um it's like the most intense mental acrobatics to be able to sit and then it just becomes this like these layers and layers of experience just from fucking sitting still within yourself and then it's like if you can sit still and enjoy doing nothing then you can enjoy doing everything because you're you're breathing through all of it and then if you think about the breath like holy fuck okay inhale exhale they're two separate things but not really they're one got it and then all you're doing your entire life from the beginning to the end two separate points again the entire thing is strung together by the same fucking breath there's no separation and then okay all right so then you're like boom leveled up brain explodes but then the whole the whole world around you every other human being is just following the same singular thread and then Okay, right, so then like you're breathing your breath and I'm breathing my breath, but then like really where's the edges? Because your exhale, if we're not during COVID and we're in the same space, your exhale could very well become my inhale. And the, you know, oxygen molecules that just vibrated inside you breathing animation into your incredible human biology then becomes mine when it's in my lungs and then it's like the fucking plants right man and it's like dude I'm exhaling their inhale and it's like the whole thing is like working together in this one gigantic oscillating singular unit together only because all the parts are there and it's like dude fucking breathwork is like a direct line to the god or goddess or whatever your spiritual like I don't know. For me, breathwork was like non-duality, done, done, done. <laughs> and then you have to keep coming back for more because it's never done. And you can sit in that moment and you can get it. And you're like, oh, fuck, like what a gift. Like I am one with everything and all of my needs are met. And there's nothing that exists outside of me. And I'm an infinite state of being, you know, limitless potential. I am just, I am both the agent of the elements and I am the host of the elements. Like I hold them all and I get to will all of these things at my discretion. 
and then you get up and you you know break a tea kettle on the kitchen floor and you forget all of it in an instant and it's like the work is never done it's just never done and so it's fun it's fun to come back and do that work and uh I don't know if it's because I'm a neogram nine but like sloth is my that's like that's like my Achilles heel like it's plus I, I just like to sit and do nothing so then keeping movement in my practice just naturally had this way of like fading away but the progression of the limbs of yoga is you start with asana that prepares your body to sit still yes. so that you can do breath work and then breath work prepares the mind so that you're naturally falling into a state of meditation um so I don't know if meditation is my next thing I can't imagine anything being better than breathing but and then also as a teacher to teach to well, I think even just when I describe it, like there, it's not, it's the opposite of my soul and a cheese grater. It's like my, my heart explodes open and I want to start yelling and shouting and telling everyone about how great breath, <laughs> just breathing is so great. <laughs> uh, where was I going with that? Um, I don't know, but it was fucking beautiful. Good, good. <laughs> who Teaching? doesn't want to work with you, Sam, is the question. Like who I wouldn't know. want to work? with that beautiful energy that just like exploded for the last however many minutes it was gorgeous thanks yeah so i yeah so teaching breath work that's what i like to, that's what i like to do that's beautiful now was there anything that pivot that, that was like a pivot of oh yes breath work is where it is or is it just something that literally you fell into and you don't even know how you got there yeah, I fell into it. Um, it started with counting um, because I was mm. like, how do I get all these people to breathe together? And it was like count. And then all of the counting that I had been exposed to as a student, um, I mean, there's different ways, but nobody exclusively counted down. Um, so like five, four, three, two, one, right? Like they would either count up or like the inhale is a count up and the exhale is a count down. And there's something about it like feels so hypnotic to count down. Um, and it's like, like walking down a stairwell and you just like get deeper and deeper. And when I offer breath work and I count the first time I counted, I was like, I fucking love counting. I don't know what mm. it is, but I could count for hours. It makes me super thirsty just because your mouth is like doing this thing. And in teaching teachers how to teach breath work, everyone's like, oh, my God, you get so thirsty and you get dry mouth really bad. But it's like I cannot – I could – time stops and I could create content for hours with just breathing. Whereas if I was trying to plan an asana class, I would be like, sun sal, and then what? <laughs> it would be dry up. <laughs> but sitting still, I could teach you how to breathe. You know, we could count for hours. So there's something about counting. Oh, and then – okay, wait. So there was a pivotal moment. I'm just remembering now. When I was in – um. When I was in teacher training, I remember like describing to the class the the dichotomy of like wanting to be a mother and be a good mother, but then also feeling okay that I'm spending an entire weekend away from my toddler, um, you know, and what that was like. But then I had come home one day after being in teacher training and I was like, you know, super zen out. Like, of course, you're really, really tired. And she had... She had started something, you know, and her dad, like, she'd been with her dad all day, and so they were both, like, tired of each other and whatever, and she started with toddler stuff, and I, like, came in super smooth, and I was, like, you know, navigating it really beautifully um, from from my perspective, and for whatever reason, she just stopped doing whatever she was doing, and I, so I started counting down five four because like toddlers know what happens when you get to one whatever the thing is that you do when you get to one and it was like as I was counting down it like snapped me into the same super zen place of when I count for others in breath work and it's like again the paradox and dichotomy of like disciplining scolding my child which would be generally a stressful anxiety producing situation but I was able to tap into this tap into this other place that is I'm my most present self, you know? So it's like counting. Let me breathe for people. <laughs> mm. I can I can truly attest um, as being a part, as having had been a part of more than one of your um, breathwork circles that you were the first time I was introduced to somebody counting Counting for us in general, other than like, you know, the three-part breath, like we get that all the time when it comes to a lot of um, asana classes, but for you counting up and then counting down, it it triggers this um, this ease where you don't even have to think about breathing because you're breathing with the count of your mm -hmm. voice. And then for me, eventually your voice faded away, but I could still feel myself breathing with your count. Mm -hmm. And I remember... Um, um, I believe it was, 
actually, I think it was almost exactly a year ago to the date. Did you do a breathwork circle <laughs> for Om on their free week last year? Yeah, I did. So every year, this is the first year I haven't done it, but it's like a New Year's resolution, not resolution, but like a New Year's intention setting. Yeah, breathwork circle. Yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. <laughs> so, but I remember like, because sitting in, sitting still inside my body isn't a difficult thing to do, but I, meditation is very hard for me because my mind does, is monkey. And I, what you mentioned earlier, I don't think a lot of people realize that to get to the proper meditation, you have to exhaust your physical body and then exhaust your breath and then Mm -hmm. your mind will naturally just like fade away into the nothingness but everybody thinks that you can just like slip into a meditative state and then they feel bad when they can't well it's because you didn't do certain steps that help you you can get into it it's just going to take you a little bit longer because you didn't like preempt whatever but anyways Mm -hmm. i'm inside the circle and you're you're um you know guiding us and you're talking to us and counting for us and I literally remember being sucked down a starry void like I just like dipped down into what would look like a black hole but it was covered in stars and like I was like cascading in this starry night and it was just it was like so beautiful and I remember coming out of it and wanting to still be in it and like Mm. you've told me before like you told me this that you over when you were recording one of your things you heard someone say afterwards um, you have a gift. Like she wasn't saying it to you necessarily, but it was caught in the the ether of your recording equipment. And I remember, and like that that scene, even though I was not a part of that scene, I didn't even hear that scene plays over in my mind over and over again because this truly is your gift. Like it is amazing. So I just want to gush over that for for a moment. Thank so you. Working with Sam is absolutely astounding. So if you ever get the opportunity, you should take it because you'll be all the better for it. Hmm. Yes. So thank you for sharing that because because I know breathwork is such a huge part of who you are and who you are as a teacher that I thought it was really important that, you know, we get the low down and dirty on it. Hmm. Thanks. So, yes. Thank you. Um, so I want to transition and um, ask you, when were you first introduced and or became aware of the goddess, a goddess, any goddess, all the goddesses? Like, what was that ocean like for you? So, again, back to Tantra Weekend, she had mentioned something about Kali. And it was not – we didn't spend a lot of time on her, and she's certainly not one of, like, the main uh, Hindu deities that you would – she's certainly not one of the the forefront ones, I would say, the most um, palatable that – society consumes and so she had mentioned her and then I went home and I did some digging and uh, everything that I could find about her just seemed like the coolest (laughs) and I just wanted to know more about her and then I told uh, my partner at the time who was uh, yeah I told my partner at the time and he ended up gifting me a book um, for whatever holiday or birthday or anniversary or something and it was a whole book about Kali and it's like this not just about her but about um like like some of her temples and stuff like the weird things that happen there's so in the book it talks about this one kali temple and they have um prasad which is uh it's like the the food and the gifts the offerings that they put at the feet of the deity of this statue and then afterwards they eat them and they eat them as though they are blessings and though they are gifted from the god or goddess because the the god and goddess the deity takes all the non-physical um you know goodness out of them and then the physical material portion is left so then you can take that physical material portion and then consume it and one of Kali's devotees took the prasad and um, fed it to cats and or yeah fed it to cats and then there were other devotees that were like appalled like you can't do that that's like blessed food you know like a deed like that's it's like blasphemous almost and then the um the devotee that had given it to the cats was like well you're forgetting you're you're forgetting that kali is in everything so me offering it to the cats is just the same as me offering it to the feet of this goddess statue it's the same there's there's no separation um and 
Yeah, so just lots and lots of pull into Kali because she's also like kind of, well, she's a super badass and she's kind of scary. And there's something in me that I really like, whether it's like the underdog or like the like surprise curveball, like she's all of those things. Um, but it happened because, yeah, my partner had gifted me a book and then I just could not stop devouring information about her because she seemed to make everything else make sense. Mm. Beautiful. Have you always considered yourself a spiritual person or has that been much more rooted in your adult, your adult years? Definitely more in my adult years. Uh, If I like look at the pictures and stuff of me as a teenager, I feel like I look like I'm dead inside. Oh, Um, I mean, just like flat. You know what I mean? Like I thought that I knew what the things that made me happy, but I I think I was just, I mean, to to the best of my abilities, I did. Anyways, that makes um, sense. Growing up, we had uh, – well, we I grew up early childhood in Illinois, and we had a close connection to a church that was out there, a Methodist church. And so I was like an acolyter, and I went to Sunday school, and I had like one of those really long robes that I wore when I like walked down the middle of the aisle to light the candles on the altar, and it was like real big deal. Um, and then we moved to Jersey, and we kind of fell away from like formal – my mom had wanted to um, – find a church that felt like home but she she had trouble finding that so so all of that like organized spirituality religion kind of went away yeah until my adulthood and until I had the space to kind of make it whatever I wanted it to be so then what um what first drew you to the craft oh uh I didn't I didn't know that that's what I was signing up for when I signed up for Daniel Dulce's Wild really? Women Living Mandala. Yes, I signed up for it because I was like, it's a 300-hour yoga teacher training that doesn't focus on yoga asana, that doesn't focus on teaching it in this specific way. And instead, it was about, you know, like making art. And I had never really been in circle in the way that we were in circle. But it was like, again, these arrows were like, yes. And then, um, yeah, my first week immersion with Danielle and everyone kept using the word witch and I was like are we is that what we're that's what that's what this is <laughs> and I remember sharing in circle I was like guys I think I think that I'm a witch and everyone's like uh yeah that's, that's why we're here <laughs> I fucking love that so much how I never knew that story is beyond me oh that was so good <laughs> So that's how you came to the craft, whether you realized you were coming to it. Yeah. And how. (laughs) Smacked me on the face. Uh, How has it served you since then? Oh, man. Well, um, I would say connection and like sisterhood. Um, This sisterhood uh, that like the the instant village that happens in a circle um, with like, you know, the sharing and I don't know, just I feel like that was the first time I could be the most vulnerable, the most open um, and be able to witness people from that same place. Not that I was like ever hiding intentionally, but like you just don't know until you hear seven women in a row tell you their deepest secrets and the heaviest burdens. And you're like, fuck. Right. And then you're just like, put it on the table. Um, So sisterhood and community for sure. Uh, 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 also a huge avenue a huge pathway for creative expression because everything everything in my mind is playful like in general like how how can I have fun with this how can I make it creative how can I make it beautiful how can I make it more me and with craft work it's that's all that's all it is is like listening to that tiniest whisper or super loud yell in you that's like do this thing and you're like all right let me just try doing this thing um so just like I don't know mix some things together or like burn some stuff inside (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I brought Steven the cat over to my partner's house yesterday and he was like he smells like your house and I was like what's that smell like and he was like well today it smells like smoke <laughs> I was like, uh, it was because I had to burn a lot of letters okay <laughs> and then oh oh I have to tell you I have to tell you oh my god it was so funny it was so oh okay so we did okay for the people listening We, um, Sarah and I and a few other women in Circle wrote letters to our past selves, 2019 December versions of ourselves, and we wrote letters to future December 2020, 2021 versions of ourselves. And so I'm telling my partner, after I told him about the cat, that's why he smells like smoke, because like I, there was a lot of actual smoke in my house. And then I told him about the letters and he was like, so? 
And I was like, so what? He was like, wow, well, did 2019 version of Sam receive a letter? And I was like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> so funny yeah yeah damn it that was a good yeah. one because you can only get the letter if you burn it you have to release it yeah so that that was the <laughs> anyways a little shithead i know <laughs> well played sir yeah. Ugh. yeah so as you just mentioned um within you know your other answer and what you mentioned in the beginning you consider yourself an artist so what mm-hmm. is art for you? Because you do some things where it's like, I would never have thought of that. And it's just so beautiful. So what is art for you? When did you first realize that art was a full expression of yourself? And how has it served you? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you the story. And I'm going to try my hardest not to sound like an asshole. But I'm, I might sound like an asshole. Okay. But I figured out that I was an artist and that art was the thing for me when in elementary school – we, you know, we had art class and we would make things and I would literally try with zero effort and my teacher would be like, this is amazing. Let's put it on the community <laughs> board. And then it became, um, <clears throat> I remember that was like elementary school. And then in middle school, again, art class, I had made, we were working with um, paper mache and sculpture and stuff. And my, <laughs> I like to, I like to, um, there's a very specific thing about me where I like to like get under the skin of people that tell me what to do, but like in a sweet way. <laughs> and so my art teacher, you know, she she knows that I have abilities, whatever. And so for this particular thing, my whole focus was like, how ugly can I make this? And she would talk to me. She would say things all the time, like Sam, why are you doing that? Like you know, like you you know you could like try harder. And I'm like, I just think it's a really pretty seven headed monster with like toe feet. I don't just just lay off. And that's what it was. It was like this huge. It was just this the ugliest thing in the whole wide world. But um, but I had fun with it. And it was like I can make art literally whatever the fuck I want it to be. And it doesn't matter. It just comes from the joy of like just making just like getting things from one place to the other place, like from inside of me to outside of me. And then the more you do it, the better you get at that communication between the inside and then what you can manipulate on the outside. And then it becomes even more playful. And then the barriers of like, is this going to be good? And how's this going to turn out? They all fall away. And then you have even more creative expression and freedom to play. So a lot of us, I'm, this is going to be a what would you recommend question because a lot of us, as it is very natural, as children, we're uninhibited with most things. Like most things are just like, let's see what happens when we do this. And then as we grow older, we start, you know, judging ourselves upon others and start putting ourselves inside boxes. But that by the time we're an adult, there is no joy found in anything for the most part because – we don't, we're, the value of leisure, art, meaning there's no reason why we need to produce this. We're just going to produce it for the joy of it. Why do you think that is so important? And how do you think that some of our listeners might be able to cultivate that? Well, I think it's so important because it cultivates a naturally feminine centered state of mind, meaning like flow state, meaning like right brain. Because if you're thinking of art in like, let me make this thing to get to this end result, that's very left brain logical. And then you miss the flow state. You miss that like intuitive connection of like just being when you forget that you have to go to the bathroom or that you haven't eaten or whatever, like that's gone. And I think that's so paramount for the human experience to be, um, to be worthwhile is, is you need to do that. So Okay, wait, it was a two-part question. So how can people cultivate it? And then I answered the other part. You answered the other part, yeah. Okay. So then um, how to cultivate it would be, well, I I mean, I can only say for me, the things that I've done – the cultivated are the things that I'm either like scared to do or um or like playing with a version like the things that I would think no that's gonna be a mess if I put those two if I put those two colors together it's gonna it's gonna be gross or if I glue this thing to this other thing it's probably gonna look stupid like just fucking do it just like why not I mean what else what else do you have to lose anyways mm-hmm. um or you know like like painting with your moon flow right like I 
I can see in my like my daughter is not super hip to that. She's like it makes her a little bit squeamish, and I I know what that feels like because I have definitely lived in a body that felt squeamish about what was coming out of it, and. I remember the first thought of painting was like, yeah, it might be cool. And also it's like kind of gross, right? But then you do it and you're like, oh my God, it's 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 beautiful. It doesn't, it's, it's only gross because I had thought that it was gross because someone had told me it was that. And art is like, it has nothing to do with anyone tells you. It's rewriting all of that into whatever you want it to be. So I would say do something that scares you. Do something that maybe you might feel um, aversion to. Like I usually don't mess with glitter so much because I'm like, I don't know, I think it's tacky. But turns out I fucking love tacky. <laughs> Tacky's pretty gross. <laughs> Great. So, I mean, not that all glitter is tacky, but there's like shimmer and there's sparkle. There's like different layers of, um, but if you add a little bit of tacky to something, it can actually up the class if you do it in like just the right way. But see, I would never know that if you hadn't, hadn't played with it. Right. So, and there's no, um, you don't have to like have a huge paint set and, you know, 75 paintbrushes to do art. You could literally just like doodle on the side of your, you know, utility bill and just like without, Without having a goal in mind, without saying, I'm going to doodle a bird, just literally wiggle a pen around on a piece of paper. That's what Zentangle is anyways, you know? Just, I don't know. Just just get it out. The more bad art you do, the more likely it is that you will come across good art. And the other thing is like, um, okay, so this comes from the book Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland. Um, it's observations on the perils and rewards of art making. And... It, the the question generally that we approach when we think about art is is it good right like does the artist convey whatever it is that they wanted to convey and instead of thinking about art especially our own personal art that we create in that way instead of thinking is it good think was it worthwhile doing and mm. even if i make super shitty art it still helps me better be able to express myself in the future and I still have the wisdom and knowledge gained from having the practice of expressing myself and of playing and you know that like careless the I think the flexing the muscle of it trying to intuitively find that stream of of creation and of inspiration is like the most godly we could ever be so then to do Mm. it without caring about how it's going to look in the end is like just flexing that god muscle like yeah I am fucking infinity yeah Duh. <laughs> oh, it's so yummy. I love it. But, and, you know, it's, yeah. And if you didn't try, you wouldn't know whether or not that was going to work or did work or wouldn't work or what have you. I forget who who the quote is from, but the quote is, the master has failed more times than mm-hmm. the beginner has even tried. Mm-hmm. And we don't give ourselves the grace as adults that we need to try and practice and try and practice mm-hmm. because all we see is the is the one person's like peak we see that peak and we want to be at that peak but we don't see all the nights the thousands of nights that person had to climb uphill to get to that peak yeah and we don't give ourselves that grace so that's beautiful mm-hmm. i love it in regards to the dark aspect of the goddess mm-hmm a lot of people are fearful. A lot of people are um, – they're only they're only interested in love and light. And while the love and light is beautiful and is, can be very healing, nothing heals like sinking into the aspect and the teachings and the loveliness of the dark side of the goddess. Mm-hmm. What wisdom do you have? What has she brought to you? Everything. Everything is hiding in the nothing everything which i mean again it's the heart of duality and this like you know with language it's it's fun to like twist and turn um you know paradox on its ass with saying everything comes from the nothing but yeah until you felt like the lowest low then you can't feel the highest high and i mean even in space right like space is literally black and nothing it's empty it's void of any light and then through that is where all the stars can be present and all of you know the planets and everything else is birthed out of so I think about instead of just dark goddess of like you know suffering and scary and um you know shadow and like sad and grief and all of these things uh reframing it and thinking about it as the nothing with which everything comes from and then you know from there it's like a very short gap to close of the void that is the womb and and perceiving the mother as this all giving the source of life itself and the the source of time itself right because we're just living in this void this huge 
expansive without edge void vacuum of space and then we're existing in it out of it through it right which is the same as like being birthed out of the womb which is like again you're coming from the dark the dark the nothing this messy bloody painful you know loud entrance into the something and i think too the I love the idea that we don't know the things that we think that we know. And the dark goddess gives us those things. We think that we know what we want, right? Love and light feels so good. And then the dark goddess just has this way of surprising you and delighting you in in these ways that have so much depth and so much color and the things that stick with you more, you know? And, and like we learn the most about ourselves. We become our most authentic selves when we're put through these, these shadow experiences, whether it's, you know, grief or hardship or suffering or whatever. It's like without knowing the dark aspect of yourself and of the universe, then we, then we only know parts of ourselves. And then it, when we make peace with the darkness that's in ourselves and the darkness that's in the goddess that's prevalent everywhere, then we are more likely to find peace when we are presented with the darkness in others. And instead of saying, ick, ew, no thank you, and feeling aversion, we can say, I see you, I feel you. Of course it's there. It's there in me too, right? The same thing that's, the thing that's in my enemy that I distaste, that I have the most distaste taste for is the same thing that's in me that feels the distaste for it right there's again no separation so uh, for me the dark goddess was the way to understanding non-duality and the paradox of feeling like I'm separate but actually I'm completely connected and intertwined to the smallest most infinite you know the whatever is infinitely large can also be infinitely small and that's how connected I am to everything else through the dark goddess because there's the thing that you want to separate yourself from the most is the thing that is the deepest place in your heart. Like, what the fuck? That's insane. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have two final questions. Okay. And they're simple, fun questions. But let me say that your answer to the dark goddess was fucking glorious, yeah. as all of your questions <laughs> or answers have been. So thank you. Thanks, boo. Um, what is something that would surprise our listeners to know about you? And it doesn't have to be – it could be anything. Something fun, something quirky. Okay. I'm going to give you two things. Uh, okay. First thing is – maybe you know this, but <clears throat> I love math. I love it so much. I'm really great at it. <laughs> I did not know that. I love it. Yeah. I actually asked for flashcards as an adult one time for Christmas. Um, I fucking love it. And, yeah, so I like math and I'm naturally very proficient at it. And then the other thing is that I prefer to brush my teeth in the shower. <laughs> oh that's funny that's a good one okay what is your favorite word oh man okay before i answer though i have to tell you this one thing that is gonna be in my brain itching if i don't i read in a magazine um a whole bunch of celebrities saying their favorite words and jimmy fallon said google (laughs) so funny so every time I think about words, I think about Jimmy Fallon. I'm like Google. Um, my favorite word. Well, I don't know if it's the word that I use the most, because um, it's like at the forefront of my brain. But I I like the word words. I like lovely and I like lover. I like I like saying lover. I like hearing lover, and I like thinking about everything as lovely and describing it as such. That's one of my favorite words. Is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can share my three top words that I can't decide which is my favorite if you ask me on my podcast. Oh, you're going to make me wait for it? Okay. I'm going to make okay. you wait. But it, one of them is absolutely 100% unequivocally lovely. Huh. See, and I just pulled it. I've, I said it and I was like, maybe that's not even my real one. I just like, it was top of mind, but it probably is. I, I think that it is. Yeah. I also love it um, in the accents where they talk with the front of their mouth, like um, like British language, where they say "lovely." I can't do it. Oh. They do it in such a way that the their their mouth moves differently than when I say it, and it's so delicious to me. Mm. But I'll tell you my other two at another time. Okay, okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's fair. So. 
So final question of the day. The final, final question of the day. If you could sit with the goddess in any aspect, what would you ask her? Or no, no. If you could sit with the goddess and have a cup of tea with her, what would you ask her? I I I think I hear it in my head and I'm like, but I feel like I know the answer. Um, so I'm like, I'll oh, pick a different question. But I think I would ask her uh, how either how can I better remember or how can I help others to remember? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then I think that she would say the point is in forgetting and then remembering again and then forgetting and then remembering again. Like that's that's the whole fun of it. Oh. That's what I think. <laughs> that's what I think she would say. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. See, it's lovely. Mm. It is lovely. <laughs> do you feel complete i do thank you so much for such great questions yes thank you for such fantastic answers yeah my pleasure it's good yes yeah i feel complete you feel complete i do great thanks so much for listening you can find more from your sisters on patreon we've got four tiers of shakti power to choose from with all sorts of rebel goddess reclamation content as well as our website, rebelgoddessreclamation.com, where you'll find seasonal events, circle leader mentorships, and drum birthing workshop circles. You can also support us individually with our solo endeavors. Sarah's website, theartofwildpleasure.com, is your go-to for all your Red Sisters offerings, workshops, trainings, sacred menarch celebrations, mother roaster services, moon-blessed apothecary items like bath salts, candles, intention oils, and so much more. You can see what Sam, your dark sister, is up to at mattmotives.com. Matt Motives are chakra-based vinyl decals to use as focal points on your yoga mat, laptop, or wherever, serving as a reminder to rest your awareness on the qualities you want to cultivate. A third of all proceeds are donated to a nonprofit of your choosing at checkout. On the website, you can also find recorded breathwork practices, along with lots of other subtle yoga workshops and trainings. Thanks again, Wild Ones, for playing and working with the goddess right alongside us. Yes, thank you. More please.